Hey, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're praying this message encourages you, grows your faith, and builds your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. I've got two passages of scripture to read to you, and I'm not entirely sure how much of this message I'm going to get through. I have a real sense that we need to to go back into some worship. So I'm going to do my best to get a few points out, and then we'll see what God wants to do. So Mark chapter 14. Verse 3 to 9 is going to be the first one. And then uh, while you're searching for that, you can put uh, your finger in 2 Samuel because you'll come across that first if you're flicking from the start. 2 Samuel 24, 18 to 25. I think I've got those correct today. Mark 14, 3 to 9. And 2 Samuel 24, 18 to 25. All right, here we go. Mark 14. It says, Meanwhile... Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and money could have been given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you and you can't help them whenever, and sorry, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And 2 Samuel 24, 18 to 25 says this. It says, that day Gad, not to be confused with God, I thought the Bible had a spelling mistake actually. Um, I had to read some context. There's a prophet called Gad. I was like, oh, it's good. The Bible's good. Uh, that day Gad came to David, King David we're talking about, and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of, I'm going to go with Aaron, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. And when Aaron saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king? Aaron asked. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aaron said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards as as oak. Is that what it says? Yes. And ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Aaron, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Let's pray. God... We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your presence. We know that you are doing things in this place in the lives of people, and we pray that you would continue and that you would guide and lead and speak this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Big welcome, Mr. Before, but to our online congregation. Uh, you guys are amazing, and uh, I got a text 
earlier uh, saying there's some amazing stuff going on. People are getting healed already, like online, and uh, we just want to say we love you, and we're so glad that you're a part of the victory as a whole. And uh, yeah, if you can, be here one day, but we love that you join us online. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Christmas. I don't know if anyone else is. I really love Christmas. Um, and in case you don't realize, we've had it, which means it's coming again really soon. Um, that's the way my life works. Uh, I take the, the lights down and then I'm like, when are these going back up? And I know there's a few of you that um, have that, that affinity for elf culture uh, like I do. But as a parent, I have realized that it's up to me to create the Christmas traditions that ultimately my kids will learn to embrace or love or like my, my love for Christmas comes from the traditions that my parents contributed to in, in, in my childhood. And so it's, it's out of those that really my love for Christmas has, has come. And so now as a parent, I'm like, how am I creating traditions and experiences and, and things for my kids that is going to instill in them, hopefully, the same love of Christmas that I have? And so we have started to do a few little things um, in our family around Christmas. We have, obviously, chocolate advent calendars, which are useless and fantastic, all at the same time. Um, and, and, uh, but the other thing we have, we have this little house that has these drawers, and it's like these advent drawers, and Rachel and I are like, you know, we don't, we don't want these drawers to just be more chocolate or more lollies, right? Because that's, that's an easy thing to do. We want them to be experiences that we do, say, as a family. And so some of the things that we put in the drawers, now it's not on every drawer, like we're not like nailing this like 24 days of family activities, like wow, the pressure on that is insane already. Um, but, but we do put some things in there, like, like bake some, some, some cookies or something, bake some Christmas treats and deliver them to the neighbours. Things that the parents, sorry, I mean the kids, can get involved with, right? <laughs> if only I meant to do that, that would mean he's better. Things that the kids can get involved with and, 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 and kind of embrace more than just what am I getting for Christmas, right? Just... But I've realized that with traditions, if you don't bring in the why, if you don't speak into the purpose or the why behind, if you don't build the value underneath the tradition, at some point the tradition just becomes old and stale. It becomes what we do because that's what we do. And who knows that a tradition that you just do because, well, that's just what you do, over time, the effort to maintain that tradition or the cost that is required to maintain that tradition begins to lose that same sense of value. You're like, well, I don't even know why we do this anymore. Why do we, why do we even do that? I mean, it's just like, what, what? You know? and, and I know for me, even in my journey as a, as a believer, as a Christian, there have been seasons in my life where I have, I have completely stopped doing things because I lost the value or the understanding or even the, the knowledge of the why, right? And we talk about this a lot. Like, like let's, not, let's not just go to church just to go to church, right? Let's know why we come to church, Let's come to church out of our relationship with Jesus. Let's come because we understand this is his house and we are his people and we are here to celebrate together what he's done in our lives and to worship him. And, and let's make sure we continue to speak into the why rather than just the practice because we don't want to build a religious practice. We want to build relationships with Jesus that are flourishing and have fruit. Right, So the same can be said for other traditional behaviors, whether we're talking Christmas or, or, or life in the church. Right? Lent is one of those 
traditions. So you've got to understand a bit of my background, a bit of my background. I grew up in the Anglican church. I went to a Catholic school. So when it came to b- abiding by the religious traditions, um, I, was, I was set up for life. There is not a religious tradition that I have not been involved in in some way, shape, or form. I attended a uniting uh, youth ministry at some point, and my mum married a great Baptist man. And so, like, you know, I am, I am a complete smorgasbord of uh, denominational influence. Um, and so... So there's really not a lot that I haven't experienced, but Lent was always one of those things that, particularly in my experience of, say, the Anglican or, or, or the Catholic uh, influences on my life, was a, was a practice that I never really understood the why behind, right? Like, I could tell you about Ash Wednesday. I could tell you about the, the mass we had every year, Catholic school mass, fantastic. We all would go and every kid would parade down the middle aisle and get the Ash cross on their forehead. And, 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 and you know, you could opt out of that if you wanted, but because but, uh, I, was, I was a believer, I'm like, oh, I'm in. What? I don't even know what it's all about, but put some, put some ash on my forehead and we, it's gonna, we're good, right? Like, something's good about that, surely. Um, and year after year, you just particularly as a young person, you know, you, you do what you're told to do. But as you approach the, the, the teenage years, that's why I'm so stoked we've got our Victory Youth in here tonight, because, because you guys are, are entering a season of your life where it is firstly okay to ask why you do what you do. But it's, it's for the purpose of establishing in you your own reason and value system. And that's why we are, we are all about a relationship with Jesus in our youth ministry because that will tell you why you do all of the things that you do in your life. So never graduate beyond a relationship with Jesus because it will be your answer as to whatever it is that you then do or don't do in your life. But this season of Lent... It's supposed to be this season of preparation. And if you were here last week, you would have heard a fantastic message by Pastor Mel unpacking what is Lent, right? As a Pentecostal church, it's probably not something we've delved into a lot. It's probably not something that we've engaged with a lot. And, and I, I want to clarify that we're not suddenly about to do Lent, okay? Firstly, we totally missed the start line. It was on the 22nd of March. And, um, and so we're a little, we're a little behind, uh, but... But rather than, rather than just jumping onto a tradition, I would rather encourage us as a community to ask, how as Christians are we preparing ourselves for Easter? If the tradition of Lent is all about preparation, then maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is, what does it look like for us to prepare? Is it worth preparing for? Oh, that's a question. That's a question I've probably not asked myself. Is Easter worth preparing myself for? I don't know. That's that's not a question that I am going to give you the answer to. That's a question you need to be able to answer for yourself. Because if I just tell you to do something in preparation, all we are cultivating is a culture of religious behavior that you copy because I've told you to do something. And you will probably stick to it for a little while until it becomes inconvenient or costly. And at that point, you will probably give it up because you're not willing to pay the inconvenience or the cost. 
You see, the truth about preparation, no matter which way you look at it, is that preparation always has a price to pay. Uh, we could talk about marriage, like the wedding day, right? You, pray, you pay a big price in preparing, whether you're talking about time or money or whatever it is, when you want to be at that altar with your spouse, future spouse, you, know, you put a lot of, of, of price, if you will, into the preparation for that moment. Some of you who maybe recently or can see it on the horizon, the HSC exams. You will pay a price to prepare for the HSC exams. You will pay a price. You see, there's this, this truth that you cannot get around, and that is that preparation always has a price. And we read two stories today, both of which communicate a willingness of someone to pay a price for preparation. If you understand the context at all of the story of David, you've got to understand that he's made a really big mistake. He's taken a census. God said, don't do that. He did it anyway. And then God said, well, because you actually did that, even though I told you not to, um, I'm going to let you choose your own punishment. How's that for a parenting technique? Has anyone ever tried that? I'm going to let you choose your own punishment, right? Like go and go, oh, actually I won't say that, we're online and, and, and I can get in trouble, but <clears throat> a friend of a friend of mine once told me their dad used to say, you go and choose the stick I'm going to hit you with, right? You go and get this tiny little twig, here you go dad, <laughs> go and rustle through the door, get the paddle pop stick, here you go. But God comes to David and he's like, these are three punishments you choose, and David chooses a plague for three days. He basically says, I would rather be under the mercy of God than at the hand of other people. Okay. And it comes to a point where David's crying out to God and the prophet Gad, not God, Gad comes and says, go and make an altar and make a sacrifice to God and he'll stop the plague. And so that's the context in which David is now going to this, this man, I call him Aaron because his name's hard to pronounce, and he's like, I want to I buy your field so that, so that that threshing floor, so that I can build an altar because I need to do this. I need to, I need to build an altar because there's a plague that's going on. You might have heard of it. It's killing lots of people. It says 70,000 Israelites died in the plague. That's a, that's a significant punishment to wear as a leader. But David says, you know what? If this is going to be done right, there's a price that I need to pay. Because Aaron's like, you can have it. Have it. Oh, and, and by the way, take the wood, take the oxen. In fact, I will not just donate the land. I will give you the wood and I'll give you the sacrifice to make. And David says, it can't be like that because then the preparation has got no cost for me. Or the woman who brings this alabaster, this expensive perfume, basically. This is worth a year's wages. Man, inflation, right, like lately, that would be out of control, right? Worth a year's wages. And she pours it out on Jesus, preparing him for his burial. I mean, you can make a very clear correlation in that moment between the price she paid to prepare him for Easter And I wonder what cost we are willing to pay to prepare ourselves for Easter. 
She paid the price not just of finance. She paid the price of exposure. She paid the price of public disruption. She paid a whole series of prices. And so when I say that preparation has a price, I'm not just talking about financial. I'm talking about a whole range of different things. Personal, the, the cost of humility, the cost of time, the emotional cost. You see, we will pay a price based on the value that we attribute to the outcome. So let's, let's track back. We talk about marriage. We put a huge value on that moment. And so we are willing to pay a significant price. HSC exams, they're fairly significant. We put a fairly high value on those. And so we're willing to pay a fairly significant price in the lead up. Students pay time, studying all hours. If you're not, you should, right? <laughs> and so we have to, we have to realise that if we're going to buy into paying a price to prepare for Easter, we first have to resolve whether Easter has a value to us. Because if it doesn't have a value, we won't pay the price. And if we aren't willing to pay the price, all we're going to do is, is perform a religious behaviour, which is very surface and will probably produce nothing in your life. And so the question really is, well, how much value does Easter hold to us as believers? And you know, we're singing that song earlier and there's an incredible line in it that talks about being redeemed and forgiven. And I don't know if you feel it, but like every time we sing that song in those couple of lines, there is this shift. There's like, there's like, there's like there's a lift right across the place. These are the sorts of things I pick up on in worship. I'm like, oh man, something just moved in that moment. And that's because we're declaring the, 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 the value of this, this thing called, uh, at this moment in time, this Easter moment where, where, where our entire eternal destiny, our entire present life was changed completely. Fully forgiven. Fully free, fully delivered. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. We have gone from completely separated from God, unable to connect with God, to being able to have full access to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Like we cannot easily articulate the significance of the Easter moment. And yet I think often as believers, we don't actually allow ourselves to hold to the value of Easter. We just have it as another calendar date. You know, ah, oh, yeah, like Easter's coming. Have you got the eggs? Did you get the Woolworths? Because they're almost sold out. Like, you better get there, get the eggs. The last thing we want is for kids to wake up in the morning and not have any eggs. Like, that's a travesty, right? And yet the value of Easter for us as believers, have, we have got to have that so deeply embedded in our understanding of, of, of our relationship with Jesus. We, 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 I'm not saying we don't, you know, like, I'm all about Easter eggs, but that's not what gives Easter value for me. And, and, and world culture is never going to be able to attribute the value to Easter that we hold as believers. And it's only when we, 
we stop and give ourselves opportunity to consider Easter is coming. What, what does that mean for us? And is Easter valuable enough to me that I am willing to ask the question, what would it look like for me to prepare for that? In my heart? In my mind? In my relationship with Jesus? What, what would it look like for me to pay a price to do that? You know, one of the greatest, most valuable commodities, commodities of our age is our time. I wonder what it would look like for us to pay the price of some time in preparation for Easter. To carve out a moment in your week, maybe each day, to stop and even just to think about your relationship with Jesus, about Easter, about what, what he actually did on the cross for you. Otherwise, we are a freight train through the year, fueled by our calendar. And you know, I'm, I've probably even spoken for longer than I wanted to, but I was challenged. I'm sitting down there and felt the Holy Spirit say, are you willing to pay the price of time? Are you willing to give up preaching time to go back into worship? Might get the whole team to come out if that's all right. Oh, look, Joel's on it. He's listening to the Spirit as well. <laughs> and what does it look like for, for us to take a moment to not just rush through schedule? And he'd be like, you know what? Actually, Easter is probably the most significant day in the life of a believer. What it signifies, what it, what it marks for us. I mean, it's everything. And it take five minutes, 10 minutes to stop, to pay the price of time. And I mean, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. There might be, there might be other costs that He's leading you into in this season. I don't know what those are for you, but I believe that the Spirit speaks and leads and talks to us and it's a relationship. And He might be saying, hey, I, I actually want you to just not do that. You know, my, my historical context is, well, you give up something. You know, Lance about fasting, give up something. So I used to give up, you know, chocolate or whatever. I never really knew why, but just did it. But I realized now, I was like, well, that was, that was something to do with a, a price. I just never understood the purpose. We'll never pay a price long-term if we don't understand the purpose. We have to solidify the purpose more than the performance. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming messages. We would love for you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.